0: This episode of The Happiness Question is brought to you by Jay Schiffman. Jay Schiffman is a public speaker, coach, and host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. He interviews people with lived experiences on the topics of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery, and drug use and policy to help end stigma and normalize difficult conversations through empathy and vulnerability. Each year, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined. I'm not even talking about the other causes of death related to substance misuse and mental health. Just those two. Those are our friends, our neighbors, our family members. They go to our churches, eat next to us at our favorite restaurants. They talk to us through our favorite podcasts. And these deaths are completely preventable. There are massive system changes that need to happen. But until we can have an honest conversation about these topics... These lives will continue to be lost. That's why Jay produces the Choose Your Struggle podcast. That's why he tells his story. As a guy in long-term recovery who survived two suicide attempts and an overdose, he recognizes his privilege. He's been given a second chance in a country and a world where most people don't even get their first. For him not to use it for something truly meaningful would be a waste of his second chance. That's why he gives up every day, to work to end the stigma and ensure that those who need help get the help they deserve, because we're in this together. Check out his podcast, Choose Your Struggle, by listening wherever you find podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Happiness Question. Today I've got with me Kara Crosswhite-Brindle, who will tell us more about how to balance life and work, which I think we can all work on. Happiness is free, happiness is real You can live a happy life, trust me it is real Happiness like medicine, trust me it can heal So hello friend, listen up As I tell you this You can be happier Happier You can be happier Happier You can know happiness Happier, you can be
1: happier.
0: Sadness comes, but there is something greater. The choice is yours can choose to rise or stay down to make a choice to be happy every day no matter what may come or go you can be happier happier you can be happier happier you can know happiness you can be happier Tell me about yourself.
1: Well, I'm wearing many hats right now, Camden. I'm a therapist. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a professor. Uh, I'm an author. Lots of different things that are going on in my world, and I think that is really why I'm focused on how to redefine success for a lot of people right now.
0: Tell me a little bit more about your entrepreneurship. Like, what what are you doing exactly?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I've kind of always stayed in my lane, which is mental health. I've been in mental health about ten years now. And so just recently, I'd say over the last two years, I started getting this reflection from the community of like, oh, Kara, you're an entrepreneur. You're a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) I was like, what is that? That sounds serious. (laughs) What is that? And they they were basically describing people who have multiple passions and multiple businesses. And at that point, that was very much true. So I kind of have moved from the mental health sphere and talking to other professionals in that sphere to now saying, how do I help the workaholic entrepreneurs out there, especially self-identifying as one. So came with a book and hopefully some future coursework that's going to help people move from workaholic to well-balanced. That's my goal.
0: Wonderful. Now, this is the first time we've ever had someone on the show that's discussed this, which is really great. We're really happy that you have this because there's a lot of people out there, including myself, that don't know how to balance life and work.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's a problem. And actually, I don't know if you relate to this or not, Camden, but I feel like the millennial and Gen Z generations are the two that are feeling the brunt of this. The research is saying from 1980 to now, like we've just seen this uptick in perfectionism and comparison to others. And so I think it's just coming to a head. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So what's a perfection newer?
1: So it's a term that I woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning one day and said, how do I identify? And this word just showed up in my head and it's a perfectionist entrepreneur. So it's a blending of those two words or actually the French word for perfection. And so for me, I was just trying to figure out how to self-identify as I go further into this entrepreneurial journey. And then I presented it to a bunch of other entrepreneurs who related to it. So it kind of took off and running with like the idea of how do I speak to this group of people who I consider a new generation of entrepreneurs?
0: So what are some characteristics of them?
1: Yeah, I think that's been my hardest challenge is to like find people, real life people who embody it to a T. And so I'm going to give you a couple examples. I think the overall symptoms, if you will, would be like that workaholic type A personality. Think of like your corporate CEOs that are really driven. Perfectioners have a hard time with downtime. So they don't really like to have too much empty space in the calendar. In fact, a lot of us start to feel restless and like, oh, I need to do something productive with my life. So it ties a lot into self-worth. It ties into this restlessness. It ties into horrible self-care. We're not good at it. We don't like it. And so this book that I wrote was really about like, how do I make this more approachable to that type of entrepreneur? But I would say the people that most embody this, because I did some research over the weekend to try and figure this out. Steve Jobs would definitely be one, would be a perfectioner. Stark, Iron Man, definitely a perfectioner in its more unbalanced form, (laughs) like ignores his own health to the point where he's like workaholic and not so good. And then Anna Riley from Keeping the Faith, if you're familiar with that movie, 2000 old movie, she's seen as like this corporate woman who loves her job, has a lot of passion but then finds herself questioning, like, do I have enough time for relationships? So I think all three of those people, fictional or real, embody perfectioners.
0: Cool. Since you work with work-life balance, is there a way to take a little bit of the perfectionistic side away, but also not just mutilate it? Because it is an important quality to have, but you don't want it that strongly.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's that balance. I want people to see if they do self-identify as a perfectioner, I don't want them to see it as all like horrible things and edges. I want them to embrace it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think my personal journey has been more about running myself into the ground and then learning how to do this better, (laughs) which is kind of ironic because I'm a mental health therapist and I teach people this really well, but I can't do it myself. So it took hitting kind of a rock bottom medically or physically for me to go, okay, how do I do this better? So, this whole book is all about like different skills that help people find that balance where they can still have productivity and passion and then still have a life. And more importantly, relationships, because most of us, that's the first thing that suffers.
0: How do we keep our relationships when we are perfectionistic? If this is so much of a problem, which it is, like, what do we do to fix it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think relationships can go either way. I think there are people steamroll is what I call it, where they steamroll over relationships where they just don't even put any time. They're at the office for 12 hour days. They're never home. They take phone calls. They work on vacations, that kind of stuff. And then I think there are people who almost on the brighter side, they they get better for the relationships. Like they're like, oh, I don't want to lose you. So I'm going to take care of myself or I'm going to learn how to do this. And so for me, it is personal because I have, I'm married and my husband is patient man. <laughs> and there was a day, I remember distinctly, there was a day I came home after another 12 hour day, I was scarfing my food at like 9 PM, not recommended. And he's sitting there and he's like, so I know you're working on changing your schedule. Like when you do that, do I get to see you more than an hour a day? And I was like, wait, what? And I didn't realize, cause he's not, I mean, he's so easygoing. I didn't realize that I was literally seeing him about seven hours a week
0: which is not great
1: um, and not good for a relationship. And so that kind of pushed me into doing this work because if it wasn't for me, it was for him. I wanted to maintain my marriage and make sure it was healthy.
0: How about the other way around when you are too much into other things to focus on (laughs) work exactly?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. So I kind of start off the book with some ideas around self-worth and how a lot of us are defining our self-worth based on what we can do for others. Am I doing enough for people? Do I have any value if I'm not helping, for example? And so I talk about people pleasers and how we all unite and go, yay, I love helping people. I love to be needed. And so that leads to conversations about boundaries, right? So that we're not sacrificing our own health for other people, which includes not doing anything we need to do because we're all in that relationship. (laughs) Hitting close to home there, huh?
0: (laughs) Yes, so I struggle personally with like, I'm either on one side of the spectrum or the other at any given point in time as I'm trying to correct it myself. So I'm just trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to find the in-between here.
1: Sure, I mean, do you, are you pretty good at finding when the pendulum swings to that one side to the other? Like, do you notice it when it's happening? I mean, I
0: notice it, but I can't, I don't necessarily know what to do about it. I'm just like, (laughs) or just like super productive. I'm like, I shouldn't stop this. I don't get to do this normally.
1: I should just keep going, right? But then right. you
0: kind of <laughs> don't take care of yourself, which is still a problem.
1: That's the risk. Yeah, we don't want you to get sick.
0: I feel like either side, you don't take care of yourself.
1: It's true. That's true. You're either helping people to the point where you're ignoring needs or you're working so much that everything goes. In fact, one of the things you might appreciate based on what you've just shared here is uh, there's a chapter called and it's asking about who you surround yourself with, right? So if you imagine like the people who are always in contact with you, Or there's that famous quote that you are the equivalent of the five people you spend the most. So something I talk to people about is perfectioners want to help everyone and be needed. And we feel really good about that. But if we don't really check who's in our orbit, we have people who might drain us, for example, who might take so much that we are left empty. And so it's all about asking yourself, who do you want in your orbit? And then how to start shifting those people who aren't so good for you out of it to make less time for them. So you have more time for the people who, let's say, energize you.
0: So how long has it taken you to find your own work-life balance here?
1: Oh gosh, it's a process every day. Like (laughs) I think it's almost like any other kind of recovery system, whether it's substance recovery or just any other addiction in the idea of like workaholic is kind of an addiction, right? So I think it's actually a choice every day to keep working on ourselves and keep doing this work. One of the people who've just finished the book had interviewed with me and said that they're already kind of changing things as they go. They've written... Excuse me, they had read the book within, I think the last three days and they were already making significant changes because they felt like they finally had the skills to do so. But I find myself landsliding back into bad habits, especially when we're super busy. Like it's really easy to go back into a bad habit of <laughs> not eating or not sleeping or sacrificing being outside for a walk because I have an email to write, that kind of thing. So knowing those signs, what I asked you about if, when the pendulum swings, That's the first step, just recognizing it's happening so you can have some control.
0: How do we find that balance?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's just so many pieces to this. I think there's, you know, the relational piece of like vulnerability, asking for help, delegating. Some of these things that the control freak side of us doesn't really like to do. And then there's just like figuring out what we like to do. I talk about it from a place of rest versus restoration. Mm -hmm. So like the self-care culture right now is... Well, when you think of self-care, maybe I should just ask you, when you think, when you hear the word self-care, what do you think about? What do you think that is?
0: I mean, all I can think of is just the term self and care, taking care of yourself.
1: <laughs> like the actual <laughs> root. Yeah. So in the American culture, maybe surprising or not so surprising, when they think of self-care, they like treating themselves to things like a massage or a vacation or a pedicure or buying something that they haven't bought for themselves before. And so when you look at it from that framework, all of a sudden it makes sense why we're not doing self-care because the perfectioners and entrepreneurs are saying, oh, I want to really save this money for something big. And then there are other people who don't have the money, who can't justify spending it on something that might feel, dare I say, frivolous. So that's the rest side of it, that American culture has said, let's do this, or I'm going to wear my PJs all weekend and not leave the house. I'm going to binge watch Netflix. (laughs) And then lo and behold, they come into my office as a therapist and say, I'm still tired. I'm not restored. I don't feel energized. I don't feel like it helped. So then I started framing it as restoration. What builds you up? What ends you? What brings you back to like health? And all of a sudden the things on the list were different. It wasn't massages and pedicures and vacations. It was gardening, walking their dog, seeing a- listening to music, stuff that was way more accessible, which is the good news.
0: How do you not feel guilty while giving yourself the breaks that you need? Like it's just so hard for me to figure out how to like give myself what I need without feeling awful about it like I'm just being lazy or I'm not working enough.
1: Yeah so that's that kind of self-talk right the part of us that says like I have to do more and so I think it's really about like scheduling it in shorter chunks. I don't think you and I are like yes let's take a two-week vacation but we might say okay half a day feels all right or if I'm doing this with a friend it doesn't feel so guilty I think if we only think of sitting on a couch, that's not gonna feel good to any of us.
0: I agree. What's your book name?
1: (laughs) So it's called Perfectioner From Workaholic to Well-Balanced. So this is what it looks like on Amazon. It's a nice little short book. Most people are reading it in like one afternoon, which is actually pretty intentional because if I'm really talking to entrepreneurs, they don't have a lot of time. And so giving them something short, sweet to the point, they have from workaholic to well-balanced is the key words there of like, all right, if you're on the brink of running yourself into the ground, here are some ideas to make this better.
0: Yeah, you're one of those authors that doesn't just fill in a bunch of fluff so it's longer.
1: No, I mean, gosh, I can't tolerate that. So I can't <laughs> expect my reader to. <laughs> I'm like, go, 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 let's do this.
0: Always the worst, like those clickbait articles and stuff where it's just like, just talk about the title.
1: <laughs> yeah, or not to mention, like I, maybe you already know this, but like the American attention span is now moved from 12 seconds to eight seconds. And all that matters on social media or in a book, like you have to grab their attention or you've lost them already.
0: I feel like my attention spans about two seconds, but (laughs) probably down the average a little bit
1: more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how it goes over (laughs) the next couple of years.
0: (laughs) What's the key takeaway from your book?
1: I think based on our conversation today and the book itself, it's probably relationships. The fact that we're not taking care of ourselves, but we'll make a change for somebody else might be our starting place. And then we work on all of this that we've talked about, boundaries, balance, and then maybe the relationships actually get better because we show up more authentically, more vulnerably. Relationships are kind of what drive us to make these big changes if we can't stubbornly do it for ourselves. So I would say the takeaway is build healthy relationships, build meaningful relationships, surround yourself with people you love, care about, and hopefully this will get a little bit more bearable.
0: Yeah. Has COVID affected your life at all lately?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some good things happening and there's some strange things happening. I think watching people adjust from the mental health side of this, I'm watching people have a lot of resilience, which is actually really great. The people I thought would be really struggling are actually being strongest. And the running joke is they've had anxiety their whole life. And so they've been prepared for something like this. Like their mind has said, prepare for the worst. You know, I'm also specializing in like suicide prevention. And so people were worried like, oh, this is scary. But people aren't to that place right now, knock on wood. I think they're feeling a little bit of the hopelessness that would lead that to be, but people are handling it because they're feeling like we're all in it together. They're not stuck and everyone else is living their life. Like we're all equal when it comes to COVID. So for me personally, this book was formed and written mostly during COVID. Like it took me four months to write because it was like, it was there. I'd already had the thoughts back in January. So one positive is this book and the ideas behind it came into creation. And of course, it's a roller coaster. I think we've all had, you know, grief and loss reactions and stress reactions. So it's not like hearts and flowers every day, but so far we're hanging in there.
0: I think one terrifying (laughs) aspect of entrepreneurship is just the fear that your business is not going to survive considering statistics.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't they love to like throw that in our faces? Like, oh, every business, you know, within five years could fail. Mm-hmm. I think for entrepreneurs in particular, though, I'm seeing a lot of creativity, which is a huge mm-hmm. part gotcha. of what keeps us healthy. It's like creating something new, right? Exactly. That's what I mean by creativity is like watching people pivot and make it work. It's really actually quite tiring, what people yeah. come up with.
0: And then, I mean, the podcast, there was clearly a lot more people that had more time on their hands.
1: <laughs> yes. So we're like, heck yeah, let's do this. So what are you doing with your life now?
0: You've written your book, um, you've gone out, you're doing, like, what are you doing uh, with your life now?
1: <laughs> well, I took a, a much needed break when the book launched so that I could actually like celebrate that milestone. Next is a workbook. So when you talk about free therapy, like you'll get to work it out yourself <laughs> in a workbook. So, that's coming out hopefully next month. That'll complement this book because it's the concepts broken down and more in depth. Actually, my next goal, if I'm being completely honest, is to do a TED talk around this idea of like breaking that badge of busyness, looking at this new group of entrepreneurs and how we support them. So, hopefully, a TED talk's in my future and then some master classes around these ideas.
0: That would be really cool.
1: Thanks. I'm excited.
0: So, where are you from? I forgot to ask.
1: Yeah. So I'm originally from Seattle, Washington area. Um, my parents still lived there. I was a Navy kid. So we were in the Navy town of Bremerton, if you've ever heard of it. I saw you had some military yes. in your background. The Army on one side, Navy on the other, and lived there till I was 18. Went off to school in Oregon, grad school here in Colorado. And been here ever since. So about 10 years this year. Been here. I love it. I'm so much happier in Colorado, <laughs> which I saw that you lived here at one point too, right?
0: Yes, I did. In Castle Rock.
1: Oh, yeah. So you got to see like more of the nature side of it instead of metro.
0: <laughs> what part are you from?
1: Right now I'm in East Denver, so oh, okay. closer to in the Air Force.
0: It's part of the reason why we lived there. We had everything. Makes sense. It was really
1: nice. Yeah. But this is nice too. <laughs> well, Colorado Springs is on the map for like five bases, right? Yeah. So I think there's just like the whole gamut of military.
0: <laughs> yeah, there is. And there's also the Air Force academy so that yes everybody's just churning out military people
1: right yep and that's probably why I've also focused on that suicide prevention piece because it's unfortunately a big part of the culture here. really it's something that we're all working on yep Colorado's always in the top 10 states for the highest suicide I feel like
0: Utah rates. is as well
1: yes absolutely actually I met a very inspiring man there from what's it called hope Was it hope group no yes hope squad yes have you heard of it Yes, he's amazing. I think his name is Dr. Greg something. I've met so many people, I apologize, but I was very inspired by what he had to say, and I was hoping he would bring his program to schools here in Colorado. So far, maybe a couple counties are going to pick it up, but I'm hoping he'll have better luck because I thought he did a great job presenting why they should be focused on the schools just like we are.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. It was a really big part of our school. Oh, I see you're in some kind of office.
1: Yes. This is the therapy office. So it got nice like floor to ceiling windows here, which is great for clients who've got anxiety and stress. I don't know if you can see those, but this is where I do most of my work, whether it's doing stuff for the um, book or helping clients. I see about 14 clients a week. Most of them are young professionals, pre-med, pre-nursing. I've actually gravitated more of those folks now that I have written this book. I think they just naturally came to me and had some of the same things I was working on. So it's been fun, never boring. (laughs) stories to tell. <laughs> oh, gosh, I just wrote a, a blog post this morning about what I call estrangement energy. So I have a group of young, not all young, but all women right now. Mostly women are coming to therapy, which some gender uh, barriers here. But I'm noticing that there are more women who are not talking to their mothers. So they're estranged from their mothers. And I was trying to figure out what that was about. And so I actually created a cycle I saw a pattern of behavior that was showing up for these particular women. I'm going to try and put it out there in the mental health community and see if it helps people, other therapists do this work. It's just, it's sad. It's, it's uh, challenging.
0: Yeah. So what is the cycle?
1: So... I should show you my little graphic I just made. I love Canva, by the way. So I went on there and used all the graphics. So it's kind of a cycle where let's say the person has, and this could be male or female. I'm just noticing more females right now. But let's say they have a negative relationship with their parent. Maybe there's a lot of conflict. Maybe there's abuse of some kind. And let's say it's going on for years. And so from there, they all of a sudden get to an age where they realize this isn't, quote unquote, the norm. Maybe they see a friend or they're at a friend's house and say, "Oh, their mom treats them so differently than mine does. What's going on there? So usually by teenagers or young adults, they've figured out something's amiss, that something's not quite right. And then they hit a point where they hit their limit and they're like, enough's enough. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm tired of the cycle. Like, I don't wanna fight with you. And so let's say they decide to distance and go further away from their parent. It's really easy to do once you're 18, you move out, you do your own thing. They have this questioning that comes up of like, could I have done more? So maybe more of that perfectionist side of like, did I do enough? Did I fight hard enough for this trip? But more importantly, it downloads into self-worth of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. And so then they come into my office in this grief and loss place of like, I've been estranged for months or years. And I keep questioning, should I have done something differently? And so then my job as a therapist is to help them process that grief, process the loss. And eventually have a new identity of like, they're either going to decide to continue to be estranged, which, you know, I don't get to decide that's up to them, but I support them either way. So if they're going to stay estranged, I support them in a new identity of being motherless. So like Mother's Day is hard, right? Or, you know, a holiday could be hard, or I help them figure out healthy boundaries to bring that parent back into the picture to invite them back in and say, here's a healthy boundary. You can't do this, but you can do this other thing and we can be healthier together. And so that's kind of the cycle that even if they repair, maybe something bad happens and they go right back into grief and loss and come out again. And so I was trying to make that into a visual. I'm still working cool. out the language though, but it's sad. There's a book called, it's here on my shelf. It's called, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? <sighs> and it's a very powerful book. And it's all about that. It's all about self-worth and why does my parent not love me? And so it's about attachment trauma, which I'm huge about. That's what I see a lot with these young professionals is they work really hard to help other people because they've been told verbally or non-verbally that this is how you get love because you have to help somebody. So I could talk about this for hours, but that's a toe in the water for you.
0: (laughs) This all hits so close to (laughs) home.
1: Well, you have a calling to help too. So I imagine that's the piece that you're alluding to is just wanting to help and uh, make a difference for people.
0: It's hard when things don't go your way and you assume that it's your fault.
1: Yes, and we're wired to do that. I mean, that's the thing I have to tell people is like, we're wired to believe the worst, not the best. someone creates a rumor, people believe it. Someone gives you a compliment, you shrug it off. Like we're wired to remember the bad stuff, not the good stuff. That's just not fair. (laughs) We have to rewire our brain.
0: How do you suggest we do that?
1: Well, the first part is something that you and I talked about a few minutes ago, which is that self-awareness, like recognize that we're doing it. We're like, oh, I'm having this self-talk show up that says I'm not good enough or I could have done better. Okay, now I need to stop that. Now that I recognize it's there. Redirect, distract, do something else, do a coping skill. And back before our interview today, I was doing some audio files, walking people through these coping skills I've created. And so I'm going to put those on our website so people can then practice like thought stopping or thought diffusion or distraction of some kind. So there's, I think 13 of them. Oh, that's great. You going to put up there? Yeah. So that's one way I'm going to give back to the communities, even though I have dragged my feet and didn't want my voice on like <laughs> My clients keep saying, Kara, I need your voice. You're my safe person. Like I need to hear your voice between sessions. I'm like, Oh gosh. <laughs> okay. I'll do it. So we're going to see if that helps people just walking through the steps, but long story short, got to redirect your mind. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, we wanted to talk about the meaning of success.
1: Meaning of success and how that relates to happiness. Yes. So I think I'm guessing, and you can tell me if this is true. Um, I'm guessing that the reason you wanted to talk to me is because I think we do have people who are thinking success equals happiness. Yes. And it's not necessarily true. I'm assuming you've seen that as well.
0: (laughs) I live that just a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you just live that. So I think that the biggest challenge is that we're being told to do what we love do it well and i think of these famous quotes like if you find what you love to do you'll never feel like you've worked a day in your life i don't know why that quote's showing up but like lo and behold let's say that you and i hit all the milestones we have for ourselves let's say that your podcast goes national or global or whatever your desire for and i get the ted talk that i'm hoping for will we still feel like it's enough or are we just going to keep rolling saying what's the next thing what's the next thing what's the next thing and so my personal challenge is slowing down to actually enjoy the successes to actually feel happiness And I think that's true for so many people I work with. Like I will sit here and cheerlead them and say, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You, you met your goal. You're working on yourself. And they'll be like, yeah. And you'll literally see them shrug. Like they literally can't even receive it in their body. They'll be like, thanks. Compliment. Move on. It's the most bizarre thing, but the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation were taught not to be cocky, not to be full of themselves. And so they can't take compliments or even celebrate their happy successes to truly feel happy. So we have a big problem we're trying to shift right now.
0: How do we do that?
1: I think we have to redefine success, right? I think when you ask people right now, success is what, having the car, the nice, the nice house, the family, the dog, popularity, notoriety, famous, right? Being known in the world. We've got a whole generation of people who want to make an impact, which means they want to be remembered. They want to be put in history somewhere. And that's not necessarily ego as much as it is saying like, what if I don't decide to have a family? This might be the only legacy I leave is my business or whatever I've got going on. But then a bunch of us during COVID-19 were given access to the science of well-being, by Yale. There was a Yale online course and it was basically about happiness, and I highly recommend you check it out. And she talks about all these research studies that say, okay, happiness is not about money, is not about the car, is not about the good paying job. In fact, when they researched people, if you made $70,000, that was basically your maximum to feel any happiness. If you made $150,000, didn't really change your happiness level. If you failed on a test, didn't change your happiness level as much as you thought it would. So it was really interesting because that's not what leads to happiness. Success does not equal happiness. It's a piece, but not the entire puzzle.
0: I just always have a hard time disassociating the (laughs) two.
1: Right, because I think for most of us, this is the one thing we get celebrated for. In fact, in the mental health field, there was a school counselor. I went to a conference in October and he said up there, he's like, you know what? We've really created this culture of celebrating successes only as the things that matter. And he gave perfect examples. He said, So here you are talking to your neighbor, and they ask, oh, how's Johnny doing? And they go, oh, he got into an Ivy League college. Oh, he's got AP classes. Oh, he got his first car. That had nothing to do with how Johnny's actually doing. It was just all about these accolades, these things that he'd accomplished. And our whole culture is about that. We talk about our work. We talk about our jobs. When people ask, how are you? You say, fine, good. We stay surface level. We don't actually go into anything deep.
0: Oftentimes, it's not true either.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it's like, I don't trust you. So I'm just going to say, fine. And let's move on. (laughs) I mean, there has to be some safety, right? Like you don't just open your heart and soul to any person. That's the funny thing about therapy is like, we talk about, we have a list of unhealthy boundaries and one is telling people all your secrets at first meeting. (laughs) And then I think about that. I'm like, as a therapist, I do ask you a bunch of hard questions in our first meeting as to why you're here and what do you want to work on? And by all means you're oversharing because I've asked you to. But I'm still a stranger to start, you know, like I have to build that relationship. Yeah. Wow.
0: This has just been kind of a giant wake-up call for me.
1: (laughs) I can hear the wheels turning. Uh, There's a lot to take in. I'm dropping all these truth bombs on you right now. It'll take a while to chew on them. (laughs) Now I can nerd out about this stuff. It's important. It's psychology. It's what makes us happy. It's not the job. It's not the fame. In the end, I think what really stood out to me is I was reading a book about death and dying, which is a heavy topic, right? And it said, no one sits on their deathbed and says, man, I wish I worked more. You know what they say? They say, I wish I had more time with my grandkids. I wish I'd spent more time with my spouse. I wish I'd taken that vacation or pursued that hobby that I really wanted. No one says, I wish I'd worked more and made a million dollars. But yet we, we covet that in our 20s and 30s. So we got to shift that somehow. It's going to take some work. It's,
0: it's an important topic to discuss. Nobody's really talking about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite people I really admire is Simon Simon Sinek. I highly recommend you check out his work. His famous book is Start With Why. And it's talking about like our personal drive to like help or like what is our calling? What do we start? They, we have to start there. If we know what our why is, then how we do it doesn't matter because we'll be happy and feel fulfilled and contentment because we're doing what we love. But if we get fixated on how to do it or what to do, we get stuck in like the minutia, the mundane parts of it.
0: Interesting. I think somebody just recommended me this book as well this morning.
1: This is my favorite book. You should totally, yeah, you should totally check it out. (laughs) Is the author again? Uh, Simon Sinek, S-I-M-E-K. I I would love to meet him someday. Now he and Brene Brown are the people most therapist fangirl over because they really speak from the heart. It's not about what you do, it's how you do it.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry I was late getting in here. It probably means I've got to let you go.
1: I know, but this has been fun. I've enjoyed chatting with you. I hope you get some worthwhile content from all of my
0: yes. uh, truth bombs. No, this has been very helpful. <laughs> and we have lots of new resources we can link in the show notes. So this will be fantastic.
1: Yes. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see what people think and to hear how it goes. Awesome. Well, thanks, Camden, for the opportunity. Thank you. I appreciate you. It.
0: I hope you have a great day. Bye. You too. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Happiness Question. If you did, please consider reviewing and subscribing to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. The Happiness Question is hosted, researched, written, and recorded by me, Camden Boyd. Edited by Camden Boyd and Austin Clark. Our theme song, Happier, was both written and recorded by La Yi, especially for The Happiness Question. Special thanks to today's guest, Cara Brindle, for joining us for this episode. Her book, Perfectionure, is available on Amazon. You can also visit her on our website at crossweightcounselingplc.com. You can find more of us at thehappinessquestion.com and can get in touch with us at, at happinessquestion.com. We hope you have a fantastic day. Bye.